This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. This podcast was recorded on traditional Denizal land. And the second part of my episode with Gary Oker, counselor with Doig River First Nation. Hey, it's Trey Lopashinsky, host of Before the Peace. And yes, this is part two. Part one was released last month. We made an error with labeling and advertising the, the last episode. The guy behind the scenes, Greg, I guess he's like my co-producer, helper. I don't know. He posts up the episodes. He puts up the descriptions and everything like that so that it goes out to all the podcast uh, platforms as well as he he does the promos for all of Before the Peace. So anything you see on social media, that's all Greg. I'm blaming him for labeling the episode weird because it was the second time we talked to Gary. So it was a little bit confusing because it was like Gary 2... But part one of Gary 2, and it just seemed like a lot of people were confused. But if you click on the episodes, don't worry. We looked to fix that all up, but it doesn't matter. The content's still the same. Last month was part one. Part two is taking place right now. Last episode, we mainly delved into Gary's past. This episode is more about what he and Doig River uh, currently have going on with projects, initiatives such as the Kema experience, the Urban Reserve being set up in Fort St. John. We chatted a little bit about Saqua and so much more. So make sure you listen to this podcast. But if you haven't listened to the last one, I think you'll be okay. I think you'll be okay to listen to this one and then you can listen to the other one afterwards if you want. What, Whatever you want. The world is your oyster. <laughs> I did do a big background about Gary last month in the last episode. So if you want that from me, you're going to have to go to the last episode. Other than that, I think you should be good to listen to this interview today because I don't want to take up too much of your time. I want to get right into it with the rest of my conversation with Gary Oker. But before I get into that, I want to say, I'm always looking for podcast ideas, guest ideas. Hey, I do pretty good on my own. Most of the guests we've had have been booked by myself or Jenna in the past. But I want to know what the listeners want to hear, who they want us to talk to. So if you have any ideas, make sure you email me at beforethepeace at energeticcity.ca. You can also reach out to us at beforethepeace on Instagram and beforethepeace underscore on Twitter. Now, as per usual, it's time to get paid. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of Troyer Ventures. Troyer has been serving our community and the energy industry with tank and vac trucks since 2000. They are built on the principles of hard work, service, and community, and they are proud to offer the financial support to make this program possible. Thank you, Troyer. Thank you, Gary. Here is Gary Oker, two, part two. <laughs> So right now, you're at a point where there's several different departments within Doig. It's very self-sustaining. Uh, you got, um, how we say it wrong, but Ujo Development. You guys got your own company. You have all these partnerships going on. Um, you have the hub that's going into Fort St. John. Compared to where we are now, to when Davis approached you, had that progression started or was that 
around the time where it had started? I, th- I think at that time, um, after say twenty some years of li- legal leg- litigation, we, you know, we were dealing with the Montney claim, claim yeah, okay. and and we got a settlement at that time for that, mm. and that was the starting point okay. really to reclaim our resources because before that the band was really poor. Mm-hmm. Um, we barely made, and uh, you know, enough to operate. You know, so. <clears throat> But at that time, it just gave us the boost we needed. The kicking and, off point for yeah, you guys. Yeah, okay. it was okay. Now it's time to you know bring back people, and let's rebuild our cultural history the way we want to see that vision. You know, based on our ancestors' vision that they want us to be better than them. So I've always believed it, and even the late Chief uh, Calvin Davis, he he always believed that you know our ancestors we have to honor them and make sure that we do the right things to honor them, mm-hmm. right? And we just build upon that. And we had a clear vision to build our community to what it is now, and we, we certainly started it back then. So when you uh, got elected chief, um, essentially, you know, how do you think that went, and, and what were your goals? Is Was it essentially just taking the torch from Chief Davis and then just carrying it along until the next chief came and obviously making progression and 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 continuing what had been started um but you know really how did that work for you and and what were some high points for you during that those two terms I think those um it it was certainly a vision to rebuild our community and my role I would say the, my biggest role was to really establish a foundation uh, we helped develop a permanent trust, which, you know, the majority of the money was put into a trust, mm-hmm. and that became, invest that in, in the money markets and to make sure that that, that trust is continues for future generations. Mm-hmm. That was our point. That was the big thing that I think that my role as the chief at that time uh, to establish that. And then, and then today, it, it really helped us move forward in making sure that there's monies there for language and elders' pension. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we still have going on today is to make sure that the elders have some income coming in. So we call it elders' pension. And through the interest, the monies that we raise, uh, parts of it goes to the elders. Mm-hmm. And then there's opportunities there for... Um youth as well right uh, i know uh I, I forgot what shona and i exactly uh, what she told me about it but i know there's opportunities for kids different opportunities if they're seeking education elsewhere with the hopes of coming back to the first nation there's opportunities there as well right so it's kind of setting it up where you're taking care of the elders you're you're helping um give youth a platform to do what they want to do in this life but also bring it back to the First Nation and contribute in that way, as well as just kind of maintain and sustain life and continue growing for all members across. Is that is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. That's always been the vision, and to this day, uh, we continue that vision. Mm-hmm. All the youth uh, who should have the opportunity to get the best education possible, and that uh, the trust that we establish is to help with that. Um, and then, of course, other programming like funeral costs. As you know, today, you know, there are funeral 
the cost of it is very expensive to bury somebody. Mm -hmm. So we've got to have some funds there for that too. And in the other programs, social programming, um, if the people want to go do some healing work, um, that's available for them. So essentially, that's that money will be there for continues mm -hmm. of development. Yeah, and like you said, for future generations. Um, so after you finish your two terms with chief, um, from from then till now, which I know is is still a long time. It's about a decade, but. What was your journey there? Like, you have a long resume, Gary. You, you've done a lot of things. Uh, you have a lot of interests, but also those translate into um, events and, and programs that you've done for the First Nation. So coming out of being chief, did you uh, – when were you – when did you uh, – when were you a counselor again? Sorry, because I know you're a counselor now. When were you elected? Six years ago. Six years ago. 2017? 2017. Okay. So between that time, oh, 18, sorry. 19, 20, 21, 22, or is it 18, 2017, 18? Yeah, something like that. I'm pretty sure it's, it's 2017. Yeah. But so um, coming from chief to the point where you were elected as counselor, um, what were you doing then? You're still working with Doig and helping with, with the growth. What were your goals during that time? What were you doing? I was, uh, I started a consultant company. So I was doing a lot of consultant work and doing projects for tribal council, the DOIG, and companies, uh, working with companies to do different uh, cross-cultural stuff. Um, yeah, so I was basically running my own company for about 10 years after that. And then once you became counselor, was that something that kind of took you put to the side and, and just kind of went fully in with, with being a counselor and, and continuing to work with Doig? Because during your consultation time, you were obviously still doing things with Doig as well, right? Yeah. You were helping them out as well. Um, did that kind of amp up once you became counselor? Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the policies we have in Doig now is that if you get elected, uh, it's a full-time job yeah, okay. and you can't run a company mm -hmm. so because that just becomes conflicted mm -hmm. so if you're a counselor you're a counselor you you know you're elected position and you do the job for the people now looking back um at, at your whole journey and and you know how it aligns with with joseph campbell and if you can sit here and have a conversation with your your mom and your dad um, what do you think that conversation would be like? Like how you started growing up and what they had taught you and kind of how it kick-started you and your journey. What would that conversation be like? What would you say to them? <laughs> um, I listened. <laughs> I could say uh, I, I listened to some of the wise things that they've told me mm -hmm. that always to be kind to people Lend a helping hand, um, you know, be useful. One of the great things that I think that in my mind, um, it means if you want something in life, make it. You got your hands, create something. And I think with that mindset, about creating things, visioning, if you want something in life, what do you need, to get in touch with that, to find out really what it is that you want to accomplish in your life or what you need. And with that, you can create it and be useful for community. And I think that's, those are the things that, uh, that I would say is, is a reflective of my life, that 
uh, if we can harness that, and I was lucky enough to do that in my life. I mean, there's people that that struggle with mm -hmm. uh, trying to find their vision and trying to find their goals and how, what am I supposed to do and how is that? That's a complicated thing, you know. And that's when Joseph Campbell talked about that. He, you know, it's the 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 separation from family and the separation from from community. You're you're kind of something that ho kind of holds you together. It's very trying, mm -hmm. traumatic experience just to, to do that separation. And then the initiation, that initiation is really about, okay, what are we going to do? The commitment of that. Once you receive your power or your goal, or your opportunity, what are you going to do with that? So if your life all of a sudden shows up in front of you, what are you going to do about it? Right? How are you going to address it? Are you going to run away from it or are you going to go into it? And I think that's that's what I learned from um, my life. That, yeah, uh, things come and go. People come and go. And what is the learning piece of that moment when that happens? And then what are we going to do about what we know? And I guess that's raising our consciousness at a higher level to say, yeah, okay, I learned this here. This fits with what I want to do in my life. This is the things that I can pull together, mm -hmm. and here's the opportunity. So, are we gonna take it, or are we gonna just wait around for? Oh, maybe tomorrow. Well, tomorrow that opportunity is gonna be gone. So, I think that is the key to any young person listening to this. What does a week look like for Gary Oker? You're just so busy all the time. You have so much going on. Well, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different projects on the go all the time. Uh, every week is a little slightly different. Uh, I, right now, you know, every Monday it's basically council meetings that I have to attend to, and and that's when I work with the chief and council and uh, the administration to work on some of the planned projects that we're running, and then it changes from there <laughs> so do you like schedule everything do you have a calendar like or is it just kind of a remembering or in the morning you're like okay what am i doing today and this is what i'm going to accomplish the reason why i'm asking for those that might be interested is just because you've accomplished so much and you've done so much and sometimes people don't look at the work that goes into it the day-to-day -day, the week-to-week -week. and now you're at a point where you've been doing it so long i'm sure it's natural to you but kind of how does that look do you schedule your days or like you, like you said it could change every day are you waking up in the morning how does that work for you every morning um you know wake up with some blessings you know like you gotta you gotta have a gratefulness that you know we're here in life and that all the things that we set our minds to um has to be in uh, in right format so in Beaver, we would say, your mind has to be set in a good way. You always got to kind of be careful or be aware about that because you got to get it in the right spot in order to ensure that the things that are coming down that you plan for or um, you wish for to come into your life has to match your mindset. So that that's a critical piece. Waking up in the morning, <laughs> and of course having a good good cup of coffee always yeah. helps out, right? And yeah. uh, and then just set up. So most of most of my life is pretty planned because of the you know working at the council level. Mm -hmm. 
we have a lot of schedules, uh, meetings, uh, the official uh, band business that I always is a priority in my life now. Mm -hmm. And those are scheduled, planned out, and uh, we're pretty booked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say, right, yeah, especially right now with so much going on, and we'll delve into some, some projects that Doig is um you know, in the midst of right now, but just going back to kind of your, your week to week. So as far as, um, your painting and, uh, your music, is that something you kind of just do when the feeling is right? Or do you set aside a, um, a section of the day or the weekend for you to work on that? I think, I think it's important for any creative person to set some time to do certain things. Uh, you gotta do it or else, uh, you can just go anywhere and everywhere, right? Yeah. So you got to have a plan of action to execute certain things and to make sure that you have the right people as your part of your your planning and uh, all that's got to be set up or else, you know, it's not going to happen. Uh, I always want to make the time and I always do. Seven days a week, I make a time to work on my music or um, make a plan that I will bring in you know professional people like the project that we're working on now on the soundscapes for the exhibits for mm -hmm. the cultural center um, so that's important so we bring in people to actually help facilitate and record processes such as soundscapes in order to use that for uh, exhibits cultural app all the big projects that we're working on mm -hmm. and we're constantly moving towards that painting I try to make time once a week at least to paint, do mm -hmm. something. I always got my paintings all around me and I got, as you can see, my studio is getting more organized. Yeah, yeah, it definitely <laughs> is since last time. But the thing that I like is every time I come into your studio, there's something new. So more specifically with the paintings, right? Like I believe there's are definitely a couple here where I came in, I'm like, oh, and I just started staring at it and, and looking at it. How many paintings do you think you have done? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just I'm just imagining it's a lot because I've just seen so many cycle through. And I've only been here, I think it's this, the third or fourth time, but I've just seen so many cycle through. And then sometimes you'll have them on the wall all stacked up, and then I'll go and peruse through them. But, yeah, you you think it's in the, the hundreds, thousands? Well, at least at least a hundreds. Yeah, because you've been doing it for a long, yeah. long time, right? I've, I've given out lots and sold lots and stuff like that. So now I'm just reorganizing. Some of these old paintings, I'm actually just framing them mm -hmm. i've done them you know years ago and they're just sitting in my seat can so now i'm going to take them out and create a, an exhibit and that's the plan so a lot of these you, you see are going to be part of a some kind of show down oh the road. okay and yeah. like are you planning on that being like um in partnership with like well not partnership but is it going to be at like saquar or like are you actually thinking of like an actual exhibit that would be at like a gallery like the north peace gallery or yeah like i'll probably reach out to them and say hey i'm ready to do a show uh, mm -hmm. let's see if we can schedule something um or yeah so some kind of a, a interactive art show that uh, can go um and uh, allow the public to see you know the, what what i've been working on that's so awesome. That's so awesome. So, and then looking at the paintings, like I know we have had discussions of, you know, it's kind of, you're reflecting on like the current state of what's going on. Uh, we were looking at a painting like literally to my right that has the Northern Lights and then some fire underneath it, which, 
you were kind of talking about is reflective to the current state right now with all the wildfires this summer and like the beauty of the Northern Lights and kind of the reflection there. For your paintings, do you have like, it seems like you kind of go all over the place with styles. Like it's just like whatever you're feeling, whatever you like in the moment. Um, is that correct to say? Is that something that you do? Yeah, I purposely intentionally do it. Mm, okay. Um, because every painting has got its own thing going on. And, yeah. And the idea there is to bring it out as as what the, what's happening. Mm -hmm. So in this case, the one you describe here is really about what's really happening all through you know uh, the communities. Uh, mm -hmm. There's lots of beauty, but also there's a lot of destruction going on with mm -hmm. the fires, and um, it's kind of unsettling, you know, like some some places that uh, they're losing everything. So yeah, it's like contrast to to one another of like this one piece. I, I really like it, and for those of you who haven't seen any of Gary's pieces, make sure you watch out when he does an exhibit one day. And do you have any of your pieces anywhere? I, I, are there a couple on Doig's website? I think underneath your profile, there is a couple there too. Yeah, I mean, I think that you'll see a lot of influences of my artworks mm. everywhere. Uh, I think one of the one of the places you can go to is the. Uh, uh, what's the Best Western Hotel? Oh, okay. There's one big uh, piece there. In, oh, nice. Inside, so when you go to the lobby, you go up to the look, you'll see a big ten by ten piece there called uh, Inside the, Inside the Dreams. That's Stories awesome. within the dreams. And then, as for like this is painting, isn't something you've ever like you didn't have any schooling on it or any training, right? That this is just something that as a creative you wanted to do to express yourself and what's going on in your head and that's just kind of something that you just started doing? Um, yes. Um, a lot of this stuff learned. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning. So yeah. Like yeah. every every painting, you got to learn a new technique. Yeah. Like the book that I got, the art book, you know, there's some masters that done amazing yeah. artwork in the past. Um, pick, up a, pick up an idea or a technique or a stroke or whatever they use. Sometimes mm -hmm. they use different materials or different type of paint brushes or um, I, I'll study it and say, hey, well, I'm gonna, let me, let me try, try this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've always, always tried to do something. I don't really, there is some themes around it, but I don't try to pinpoint how, what I'm going to do. No. Yeah. When I, when I see your pieces, like I don't really get an exact, you know, someone who's like, I've, Definitely when I was younger, studied that more often, more so like urban art. And we were talking about like the Basquiat and your Banksies and things like that. And like I see your pieces are just, there's no specific style, which I like, like for me personally. And I'm just wondering if like when you actually started on a canvas, were you younger or was it like what time in your life did you really start to put emphasis in painting in your spare time? I, th I think in my early 30s, mm. I started to really get into painting. I kind of messed around with it. I was doing more like illustrations and that mm -hmm. type of thing before. And yeah, I, I still like that. I, mean, I might go back to that <laughs> illustrative form, mm -hmm. kind of uh, fashion illustration kind of thing going on. Um, I think maybe that when I work on my, my uh, book or something like mm -hmm. that, design book of some sort, mm -hmm. that I'll get into the flow of that consistency of the design artworks and what do you think like sparked you know we've talked about music we talked about drumming and the importance it has on your life um but you know there's so many different aspects to creatives and um their reasoning behind certain things and sometimes it's just to relax and i'm just wondering so 
going into your paintings, were you also, you know, before that when you were younger, were you drawing too, like sketching? And oh, then yeah. it's kind of evolved, like you've always been creative. Because I'm just wondering, because, you know, younger, you had the influence from elders and people around you with drumming and music. Painting was just something that you wanted to do like it was just something you were into and then on top of the fashion which is another creative aspect i'm sure you were like drawing sketches for stuff as well oh yeah that's so it's kind of evolved so you've kind of done different facets of creative um, yeah things I, throughout the years right oh yeah it's uh that's the best part of it that uh, you're not stuck in mm-hmm. one area mm-hmm. or one technique i'm always trying to explore how i could take that idea and put it into a different context so that um, it can work, you know, like right now, like all this, these, these are just kind of dimensional paintings. Uh, what I really w- want to get going and we're building towards that is the, the interactive by using technology with that mm. so that there is a movement. So now you can walk up to it and mm-hmm. boom, you'll kick off something like a, a sound or. And are you thinking of this for the exhibit or for Saqua for the, the interactive because I know Saquon, that's, and we'll delve into it a little bit more, but that's kind of the idea is to have an interactive, I guess, museum. Yeah. that's. Uh, I think there's a combination of both. I think mm-hmm. there's different elements that can go in. Each piece has got to, you got to figure out, okay, what do we need for mm-hmm. that to bring out? Sometimes it could be just a simple thing as a light that turns on when you walk into it or mm-hmm. it activates a voice and then all of a sudden you hear the music. Right, so we're right now we're working on soundscapes, and mm-hmm. that's going to be really exciting because now we have multiple purposes that we can use those soundscapes for. Everything from just listening to podcasts mm-hmm. or put it in and in, embedded it into a, an exhibit so that you can hear what's going on within that exhibit piece. So the thought there, and even with the soundscapes, is there a specific? Um I guess, project that those are aimed towards? Or is it just something that you guys are in the midst of creating right now with an idea of where it might go, but it really is multi-purpose? Like, is it for Saqua or what are the soundscapes for, I guess? Well, the soundscape is part of the BC Hydro project mm. for the exhibits. So we proposed to them that we wanted to create uh, cultural um, soundscapes to incorporate into the exhibits mm. so that is specific for that we don't well we, we've got a lot of them so okay not everything is going to work so we did a lot of extra work on that so um we just got to find the right mix for each of the mm. exhibits and then for Saquon too the same thing mm. i mean it, it may be something that we have to uh, recreate if it doesn't fit because you got to find i think the composition of, say any artwork or any piece of creative is that you got to find the right compositions and textures mm-hmm. and the sound it's all got to kind of flow together or else it doesn't fit it yeah. feels out of out of like it feels jarring almost exactly right? yeah. so the idea there is to get people to come in either through colors through sound or through something that kind of attracts the people to kind of oh what's this now we can be able to add other textures to it. That's cool. So with the soundscapes, you're creating that piece of it. So is the exhibits, is there, is this going to be like a traveling exhibit that goes to different galleries or different communities? Or is this something that you guys want within DOIG? Like what's, 
the goal for the exhibit once you guys kind of get into the final stages of the process on the project? Well, I think the main the main ones that we want to do for for BC Hydro uh, Cultural Center is we want a permanent one. Oh, there. okay. But we do have one that's go, uh, a mobile one that's going around to different communities. Mm. So we may do a combination of both, you know, to move them to change it around because you always got to keep changing things around to make it fresh. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to do that. So we'll take pieces of it and then create another one. So it's going to be a constant evolution of telling stories. And then again, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. How do we tell a story, for example? Um, how do we use the latest, greatest technology in artificial intelligence? So that's why you know, one of the plans that we're working on is to go and visit the Maori people. Because mm-hmm. the Maoris already uh, um, have established and created the programming using artificial intelligence for languages. Mm-hmm. And we want to be able to adopt that. Yeah. So we want to be able to use it because now we have over 10,000 words for beaver language and we want to be able to use artificial intelligence so that you can immediately talk into it, have interaction with it and say, how do you say this in beaver? Or how do you spell it in beaver? Mm. It should be able to spit it out to you pretty quick. And that, to me, is very, very exciting. That's so interesting. That is really exciting. So you're right now in kind of the discussion process of going over to speak with the people and, and kind of how it's Maori, right? It's the Maori, yeah. Maori, Maori, yes. And that's New Zealand? Mm-hmm. So you're you're in the process of discussing, discussing going to New Zealand and kind of learning this yeah, and the- what they're doing and how they're implementing it? Well, we, there is an agreement with uh, New Zealand and Canada, mm-hmm. and one of the part of the trade, trade cultural and business trade agreement includes indigenous people, so that Maoris and us can get together and talk about what can we do to share our information knowledges, and what can we do for business. Mm-hmm. So that is part of it. Uh, certainly, we have already talked to uh, people there. Um, the, actually, the Ice Age to Digital was the, was the help. One of the professors from uh, Maori's is the one that kind of helped frame the context around Ice Age to Digital mm. for the proposal, the original proposal for yeah. that we submitted to BC Hydro. Um, they, at the university level, the, they're working really hard and fast, and they have a whole crew of people that work oh, on wow. this stuff. That is what we want to. You want to see what they're doing. Those things. Yeah. We want to see what they're doing. What can they do to give us the tools we need in order to do to speed up our process mm-hmm. here, to to make sure that we have that technology to do the Beaver language. Mm-hmm. So all this is is to kind of form this this cultural center. And I don't I, I don't think um, the nations or even BC Hydro has come out with too much information on the cultural center. But from what you can say, what is it going to look like? Where is it going to be? And uh, you know, kind of what's the the goal of it? Well, the goal of it is uh, obviously um, we had to go overcome the ecological grief of the dam being built and flooding of it, and which is happening this fall, and uh, the change of landscape. So what do we get out of it after that done? So that was always the question I had. And with the tens of thousands of artifacts that they found all around there along the river, what are we going to do with that? We can't just bury it. We got to do something with it. So part of the moral obligation of you know the corporation is that they have to leave something for the people. So 
the context around that is build a cultural center to showcase all the artifacts and the stories of the people that's there. That's like 13 communities that are affected throughout the, uh, the Peace Valley. So what do we want? That's tourism for us. In the future, people want, it's going to come down. They want to see what's happening with the Site C, and they're going to probably tour down how that's all built. But after that, they're going to come to the cultural center and to get a, a history behind it. And where's the cultural center going to be located? Has that been talked about yet? Yeah, we're looking at three different locations, mm-hmm. and now we're looking at the the actual camp site and see how we can retrofit that mm-hmm. if it's possible. Yeah, it's all about budgeting and mm-hmm. that right now. Yeah, so money, okay, yeah. how do how do we how do we do it mm-hmm. in a way that we can repurpose some of the materials down there or some of the buildings mm-hmm. um, just to be more cost effect- effective, right? About building, so we start fresh to build a brand new building that's going to cost a lot of money mm-hmm. now, nowadays right but if we can use an existing materials i think that more logical right so then there'll be more money available for the the technology application for exhibits and a lot more engagement with the community to bring their stories mm. uh, forward that's going to be so interesting when that gets into uh you know kind of goes up to the public and we learn more information about it my biggest question is there's so much going on with Sequa. Just got a, you know, we mentioned it, a, a big donation recently. Um, there's a lot of work that has been done and that's going into Sequa. What's going to separate the Sequa and the cultural center? Because I know there was a thought of the property on the Sequa site would be used as an kind of an interactive museum. I feel like Alyssa's told me a different term that they used as opposed to museum, but kind of like a small display of some of the history and artifacts that have been discovered at the Sequa site and the history that's been told from it. How is, is it just going to be meant for everything that's discovered in Sequa and its history and it's going to be separate from the cultural center or how, how is that going to work? Have you guys really talked about that yet? Yeah. Sequa is really an interpretive center. Mm, that's the word interpretive yeah. center. So yes. it's going to be more of an interpretive center about the cultural heritage material. Oh, okay. Processing that material and have a place where people can learn how to do these, take care of artifacts and how to, how to create that and create stories around that. Because uh, an indigenous uh, uh, heritage repository doesn't exist up in the north. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it even exists in Canada. Not in, that I know in, of, in, no. In British Columbia. Yeah. So indigenous-owned, indigenous-led processes where we can be able to be a repository of all artifacts and process those. Then once they're ready to, to, for display, then they go to the cultural center, they go to the communities, they go to Nanjing Commons, somewhere, right? Somewhere they can be able to be uh, hosted and and uh, presented to the to the public. So for the Tsequa, uh, it's it's really about the history. It's the ground zero. I call yeah. it ground zero of all artifacts because so far, it's the oldest mm-hmm. that we know, t- around yeah. twelve thousand five hundred years, and. There's artifacts now being tested, and we will know more as we unre- unveil. Yeah, the there's a lot to come out of it, and like you guys are doing so much work there. I know there was a lot of work in the past year of 
you know, because not only is it the interpretive center, but to, to supplement the, you know, it being ground zero, quote unquote, that you're saying is like accessibility was a big thing so that um, every walk of life, including elders, can get down and view the site as well and kind of learn that history too, right? So you guys have put in um, a lot of work. Uh, I know Alyssa has too. She's been she's been definitely awesome at at Saqua. So that's that's really cool. What what else do you guys have coming up for Saqua um, that you're working on right now outside of you know the bigger goal of having the interpretive center and things like that? Well, I think the main thing is the uh, and the. Uh the infrastructure that you mm -hmm. mentioned, uh, yeah. accessibility for the public to come there to learn about the history and further research uh, development that's going to occur based on, you know, evidence that we find. And then, of course, all the, all the school kids open it up for the school. Mm -hmm. uh, that could be their first introduction to Indigenous people here as a full-fledged full program. Kind of adds it to the curriculum and as well. Add, yeah. add the whole thing to it. Fair enough. So a lot going on with Saqua. You're, you're working on the cultural center right now and, and the soundscapes for it. And now moving over, like I said, there's a lot of, um, you know, initiatives and projects going on with Doig. And uh, before we wrap up here on the second part with you, Gary, um, you know, the couple hours of you and I, you and I talking, uh, I really wanted to delve into some of them. And, and one thing that keeps being brought up with not even people at Doig is more so people with relationships with Doig who have been through the, and I might say this wrong, and I've tried to say it multiple times, Kama experience. Mm -hmm. I want to know, you know, what's the purpose of it and how has it gone? Kema is really popular. <laughs> Getting more popular. Yeah. Kema experiences, Kema means a pure place in nature. Okay. And it's evolved into a cross-cultural training with the uh, companies uh, all the oil and gas companies, government, and industry, uh, all kinds of different people that are interested in. Uh, and the, the goal is to get out in nature and go camping. And of course, we use our own uh, traditional knowledge to, um, and share that. And modern stuff like, you know, cabins and different places people can stay, building shelters, uh, going hunting. Um, just all the what it takes to go out in the camp. And the, one of the things that the feedback we got from these executives coming in is that it really builds relationships. Working together and chopping wood and piling and getting ready, that's all building relationship. Yeah. Uh, cooking together and you know have sharing a meal and telling stories around a campfire. All that is about building relationships uh, relationship with one another to get it know, know one another and of course you know learn the history of the local tribe mm -hmm. and well, what we're doing today yeah well i was talking with uh ken wagner with uh, fraction energy and he was talking about it and he pretty much said everything you just said where it was nice to you know have that camaraderie with, um, you know, other people's from people from the company who took part in the experience and others who joined in on it as well. Um, including yourself kind of leading it. And then he was also talking about learning about that history as well from the good feedback that you've got about this, um, you know, I'll call it a program experience initiative, uh, from these big executives with these companies saying these good things and then to have people wanting to do it more, what does that feel like for you? It does feel like, oh, right, like we've hit something. This is, this is an accomplishment. This is an achievement. This is working. 
It makes me very happy that finally, after years and years of trying to get a program that can executives can um, buy into, mm -hmm. and then make sure that every person within the company experiences that. It becomes a common denominator for working with Indigenous peoples. So that's, that's a big, big uh, thing. What I've been hearing and feedback from the executives is that Oh, I'd love to participate, but uh, can I bring my kids? <laughs> <laughs> and then we said, yeah, why not? Yeah. So there's been a lot of uh, requests uh, about making it more kids-friendly. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where we're going to go. The next phase of GEMA is to open it up, probably next year, open it up for uh, executives and their kids awesome. or, or people from the company and their kids. So then now you got, you know, family coming it's in. It's a whole family experience. Yeah. And then it's an even bigger thing because then, you know, for instance, as an example, Ken, I don't know if he has kids, I'm assuming he does, can then have this experience with his kids. And then this is something that not only brings them closer to indigenous ways of life and in First Nations communities, but this is also something for them too. Absolutely. Right? Which is really cool. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. So, so that's really a big kind of next thing that's mm -hmm. happening with Kema is that uh, people want to have family experiences. And of course, you know, we all know that uh, a, lot of, a lot of families struggle with uh, kids uh, on, uh, online all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, to get them offline, okay, well, let's, let's go camping, yeah. go, go do something together. <laughs> so uh, that's another, another form of relationship building with families. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be a, a, a book because, you know, Doig Days is, always family orientated yeah our community uh, in doig is very family orientated mm -hmm. so we we, we want to keep, keep a create a, a safe place for cultural and education experiences so gema experience actually uh, creates that and so a little bit of background on gema um when did it start and it was this an idea that was created by yourself and others or just yourself or was it taken from maybe another program somewhere else kind of what how did it start and when if you remember well um it all came from just our experiences in life you know um it started with the elders basically saying uh, if your mind is not in a good way go find gema go in the bush that's that's where the elders continually tell us, growing up, and even hearing it now, and our experiences. Yeah, there's something that magically occurs when you go out in the bush and you get connected, right? Connected back to, to get rooted again. So mm -hmm. the idea of connection, rootedness, back to the camp and... That started that thing, so uh, I submitted a proposal to Arts Council of Canada to actually explore that with to my art. So how do I take my artwork and create these shelters and camp to do that? So uh, that started me out to build that pathway, and then as we as we got going on it, and the more people were interested, the band becomes interested, and now it became part of the Doig uh, River First Nations. Uh, service offering for cross-cultural relationship. So it was like, it started with what you were hearing from the elders and then it's something that you had proposed. So your artwork isn't involved in the experience now with Doig, is it? Oh yeah. No, it is still? Okay. Oh yeah, that's all part of the thing that I experience. create and okay. 
and if it works, mm -hmm. and we'll use it. If not, then. So you're saying you take a piece that you've created, and then maybe you explain the piece and how it is associated with Kema? Is that the is that the goal, or how does it work? Sorry. Oh yeah. So they well the the context around bringing mm. culture, art, and and that experience is oh, okay. is what formulated Kema. Oh okay. Okay, camp shelters. Okay, what are we gonna do? Well, okay, we created the camouflage teepee. Uh, never existed before, so now we can create that or add a um, a storyline, painted storyline to that. So we create these these spaces with artwork. That was the intention, you know. And some of it worked, and some of it didn't, you know. So. So there's pieces of it implemented to, into it, mostly like kind of the structures that you're building or things that you're doing, the activities, right? That's, oh, okay. That's right, yeah. And so, sorry, when did it, what year did it start? How long have you been doing it? Oh, I don't know. It's Roughly? Five years Five now. years, okay. Yeah. And it's like increasingly got more popular amongst, you know, you're talking about executives. Is it outside of, of uh, companies or is it just for companies to, to bring them in and, and uh, improve that relationship? Um, it started out with just the companies to bring mm. it in. It's similar to what we do with Doik Days for yeah. the local community and mm. the school, right? Bring people in and everybody participates and have a good time and they want more of it. Same thing with, okay, what are we going to do with uh, executives and people that come from Alberta or wherever? And what do they want to learn about the local tribe? Okay, well, participate in Gema. That's your first introduction to it then we can move forward to uh, different levels. Mm. Our goal is to have different levels of Gema experiences. Okay. So the first one is Doig de Gema. So they actually camp right in, in the community in Doig, participate with Doig Days, level one. Nice. Easy, yeah. it's all set up, and it, and it gets harder and challenging when we have to move camp. Mm -hmm. And then that means winter camp, it's like probably a five. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> well, we have cabins. Yeah, I, I mean, still, still. <laughs> yeah, so that's like five, six. Yeah. You know, seven would be the ones that, you know, survival. Oh, okay. Right? Eventually, okay. we want to get to seven level and, and learn about, you know, the primitive tools and stuff like that that could yeah. be used to go harvest an animal or something. That would be the ultimate. Wow. Yeah. Ultimate so goal. it's all these levels that take in different experience to kind of, you know, get to those traditions. So I would say that's like the, like you're saying, the extreme level of, yeah. of survival. Number, so, number four is actually, um, we call it glamping. <laughs> I've heard of glamping. Yeah, well, that's the level people like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we want to have the experience, but we also want to have the modern convenience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we want to be as comfortable as possible while being able to do this as opposed to coming up with your own camp and then hunting animals, I'm sure is, <laughs> is what people's notion is. So um, you, you, you're continuing to do that. When generally do you have uh, came a, like, do you have a, a a part in the year where you are set to do the experiences? How does it work with scheduling them? Like, just is it mainly when businesses reach out, or how does that work? Does it start around Doig days? Excuse me. Yeah. Um, um, technically, we got four camps that we 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 need to do for every season. Okay. So then people can book. Each oh, the season. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Yeah, so, and then if there's a specific one the company wants or uh, individuals want to participate in, mm -hmm. we can then create a create one for them. So, but right now, they, there's four major ones that people can participate with uh, the spring, summer, kind of come together with doig days and, and the camping, and then from there, we move to the next level, which would be a fall, fall winter camp. So you say the summer winter camp is kind of like where you cap it off in, in the year? Yeah. And how many people do you generally have in, um, during Kema, like when you're, you're doing the camps? Yeah, we can do uh, anywhere from 15 is a pretty good number, but 25. 25, we've got we to gotta say 25 is enough to start. But normally around 20, 20 people will be good to participate. And now moving over to another, you know, big project that Doig River First Nations doing right now, the Urban Reserve. Mm. Where are we at with that? I think um, I don't have the date off the top of my head, but the expected opening is that next year or the year after. It's twenty twenty five, right? Uh, it's coming up. That hopefully we have something by next year. Oh, okay, okay. So where are you guys? at with it right now and for those who don't know about it what is the urban reserve it's located in fort st john but going off of that you know kind of what are the thoughts with it well the urban reserve Nachi commons we call it Nachi commons yes yeah. Nachi means dreamer commons of course business is where the dreamers come together to do business so it's a it's going to be a a neighborhood town within the town <laughs> hometown um, from there, we're going to have, you know, gas station and uh, retail outlets. And there's uh, talk about the, with companies uh, such as uh, Starbucks. We're talking with them, and they, they want to participate with, with us in, in that. Uh, nice, a new Starbucks, and that's not sarcasm. I'm very stoked on that. The one in Fort St. John gets busy. <laughs> yeah. Everybody likes coffee. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I literally came with a coffee, and you had one as well. Um, so with the Urban Reserve, like you said, there's a lot going into it. But the whole thought of it is to bring is also for First Nation members, like DOIG members in Fort St. John, right? So yeah. this is a place that they can go to connect with um, the First Nation, the community, without, you know, always having to travel, right? Is that the kind of thought about it? The yeah, with it? Uh, I think the big thing there is uh, it's a long-term economic strategy for mm -hmm. us. It's a business uh, deal for us, and we have to generate our own money, and what better way to do it having an urban town that can have all the services, best better services than than what's available right now. And then, so this came after obviously an MOU agreements and discussions with the city of Fort St. John. And so once this is built and you have these services there, so basically it's like you guys own this complex. And so you guys are then getting revenue from uh, people that are in these spaces. So does it get split up with Doig and the city or is all the revenue going to you guys? Uh, all the revenue goes to us. Okay. We, we do have a service agreement with the city, mm -hmm. which we have to pay for water. Because obviously we're in the city, so right. yeah, okay. So they'll, they will be taken care of to that service agreement that mm -hmm. we, we did. And then the, the rest goes to, you know, the the nation and uh, we distribute as as required for education edu additional educational dollars or training um, 
supporting businesses. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Like you said, you guys are looking at different opportunities to grow the First Nation, and and um, this is a huge one. So with it, is there anything else like people need to know about um, the Urban Reserve, like kind of some requirements, I guess, or, or some things you guys are looking at specifically there? Like are you going to have Indigenous-owned businesses there? Are you going to have a – I believe you guys are going to have a space specifically for Doig. Like you're going to have like kind of like a, a Fort St. John office there. Is that correct? Yeah. There'll, okay. be, a, there'll be a business office there and where uh, people can rent uh, rooms mm. or – Like boardrooms board and things rooms like that. Yeah. Like that. Uh, it'll be available. There's uh, other companies that are looking to create a office space there. So I think we're going to have a, a really good mix mm. for everybody to uh, come in, have a good time there, and and do business with one another. It's mutual growth for the city and for Doig, right? Because you guys, again, you're 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 going into the community, you're having this space that's yours, and then on top of that, it's it's growing the city, right? You're you're using vacant land right now, and you're providing more services to community members, which I think is is really awesome, especially that gas station. <laughs> I know a lot of people were talking about that too. That we have another one right right across from the school, which is like perfect. Um, so is yeah, is there anything else with the urban reserve, or that's pretty much you know you guys are still in the planning phases of talking with businesses to come in and things like that. Yeah, right now we're just uh, organizing our infrastructure to to pull the trigger. Right now there's planning going on to do architectural drawings and that type of thing. Um, you've got to build the water, you know, the infrastructures, the water systems and all yeah. that. That's all being planned out right now. Uh, hopefully, I mean, we're hoping that we can hit the ground soon, but uh, we haven't got the, the drawings and all those mm. things done. Uh, we're still trying to set up our trust uh, systems and where and how we're going to be able to pull that off. So there's a lot of a lot of planning and mm. works right now. Yeah, and it's, it's it's coming along pretty good. That's and awesome. We're yeah, really, we're really hoping that uh, you know we can have something to show people, the public, you know, where we at, and our partners, and say, hey, you know, this is where we at, and we're ready to go. Um, looking at asking community what they would like to see. So we're doing a lot of outreach and asking different people and even in the whole city right like what are the services they they think that would be that's needed and that would go needed. there yeah i know one of the things uh, a lot of people are talking about is some kind of health center mm -hmm. right the updated health center so that uh, people don't spend eight hours waiting for to see a doctor yeah so some you know something like that would we're definitely looking at that and of course what other type of business new restaurants higher end restaurants yeah uh looking at different chains or different groups that may want to come and uh, participate with us. Is there anything else in your mind that you want to talk about? We pretty much touched on everything that I want to do. Yeah, I think the, we talk about reconciliation. We talk about UNDRIP, you know, the United Nations Declaration. Um, we talked a lot of that. So all the things that we're doing is really implementing all those things mm -hmm. in real time. And say, this is what's going on. It's, this is how indigenous people can create indep independence using their, their history, their culture, um, and build into a tourism uh, network. And what's the future for us? Of course, there's well, still going to be uh, oil and gas development and other things going on with natural resources. But what is there for us in terms of business? Mm -hmm. well, I think tourism is a big thing, indigenous tourism. So 
once we build out all our infrastructure, we can have tours that goes around. And we're already doing it with different organizations right now that want to go and tour Saquon. They want to see Doig. They want to go see what what are we working on, right? Mm, so it's kind of like a tour we have in the in the the area. Yeah, that's what you're creating. Like you said, a network, right? It's going to be a network yeah. of partnerships, uh, infrastructures, and businesses, so that we can create. Uh, a cellular economy. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the bigger picture yeah. of what we're talking about. Uh, we, we need to make sure that we can generate our own resources so that we can you know, take care of our community, take care of uh, the people in the region here. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gary. I loved talking with you for, <laughs> I think in total, we've talked for like three hours. So <laughs> I appreciate it. It's always awesome to come by and see your artwork and just even have a chat with you. So thank you so much for sitting down on the podcast again. Well, I appreciate your interest. Good job. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Gary Oker. It was the last of my two-part episode series thing uh had a great conversation with gary it was again like three or four hours long so we decided to split it into two separate podcasts he's an interesting cat he's well known in the community in the, in the northeast region of bc and he's done a lot he's led an interesting interesting life and it was always always fun to talk with him but specifically this time it was really nice to get to know gary a little bit more and i'm sure you guys have that thought as well Make sure you guys are subscribing to Before the Peace using your favorite podcast app or energeticcity.ca backslash podcast if you haven't already. Also, again, if you have a guest or program idea, make sure you email me at beforethepeace at moosefm.ca or beforethepeace at energeticcity.ca or trey at energeticcity.ca. There's a lot of ways to get a hold of us. You can also reach out on Instagram at beforethepeace or beforethepeace underscore on Twitter. See you guys next month. Woo! Yay! Before the peace. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.